the name of God the Father, in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to talk this morning about the resurrection as a revelation and about revelation as revealing the meaning and purpose of life. Many of us are coming today, I think we are inevitably, we're thinking about the great cathedral in Paris, about uh, the cathedral of Notre Dame. A revelation is when you know something that you didn't know, when something is revealed to you, when you discover something which you otherwise would not have discovered. The fire in the cathedral in Notre Dame has revealed a lot of things. One of the things that it revealed to me is the surprising strength of Christianity in France. France is notorious as being one of the most secular countries in the world. About 6% of the population in France go to church. It's about 12% in England, and we're still um, maybe 40% or something like that. But my word, I would never have imagined crowds, literally crowds of French people, many of them young people, literally surrounding the burning cathedral, praying the rosary and singing from memory the Ave Maria. Something I didn't know was revealed to me. Now there's more revelation in this event. This event has revealed to many, many people, certainly thousands of people, maybe millions of people all over the world that they care more about and feel more strongly for holy and sacred things than they knew. I think you know, there's been a great outpouring of emotion about this. Uh, some of the commentators have said, well, it's, uh, it's feeling for a national monument or it's feeling for a national symbol. I don't, think, I don't think it's strong enough. I don't think those explanations are strong enough. I think many, many, many people have discovered that deep in their hearts there's a love for, a concern for, a care about things that are holy and things that are sacred. And that they are, have been surprised by the degree to which the thought of being in a world where at least one of those things should disappear altogether is not something that they want to countenance. The human heart is hungry the things of God. The human heart wants there to be sacred places. The human heart wants there to be sacred things. And the human heart wants there to be places where you can draw near to God, places like this great cathedral, places like Notre Dame, Paris. And this event, which threatened for at least a moment to leave a hole where one of those things is, stirred people up in ways that was a revelation to them.
I've been a pastor for many, many years, and a lot of people have told me that they're not very religious. And a lot of people have told me that they're, they're spiritual, but not religious. My conviction after watching a lot of people over a long, long time with regard to the things of God is that most people have more faith in them than they know. They care more than they are aware. There are depths in them which they don't very often visit, but they're nevertheless there. And there are things that happen that touch this heart, that reveal these depths. And such a thing happened in Paris. Now, there are things that we can know only by revelation. Some kinds of revelation, um, well, there's the revelation that we get when we see something beautiful in nature, a beautiful sunset or a majestic mountain. There's a revelation that we get when we walk into a great space like this or one of the great European cathedrals, when we see a great work of art or when we hear a great work of music or when we read something that's really profound and suddenly our eyes are opened, we see something we hadn't seen before. But there are other kinds of revelation. There's an irreplaceable kind of revelation that comes when something happens. People have been touched. People have been stirred up. Hearts have been awakened in a way that would not have ever taken place by argument, by talking, by uh, persuasion. Something outside of yourself presents itself to you and changes you, opens you up, brings you to life in an unexpected way. Now, there are also some kinds of revelation, particularly the revelation of things regarding purpose. And these things cannot be revealed to us unless the author and maker reveals them. When I was a little boy, there was a magazine. Some of you will remember this. I don't know if it's still out there. There was a magazine called Yankee Magazine. Anybody remember Yankee Magazine? And there used to be a column in Yankee Magazine that I loved when I was a little boy. It was a column called Ask the Yankee. And you'd turn to the back page, and this dour old New Englander would be looking out at you. And next to his face would be the picture of some obscure tool. You knew it was good for something, but what it was good for, you couldn't begin to figure out. And there would be, you know, uh, uh, multiple choice, and, and so you could guess. And then the next month, the Yankee would come back and tell you what it was. He would tell you what it was because he knew and he revealed it to you. For purpose to be revealed requires that the maker and the author reveal it. Now, one of the great things that is happening in our time is that people, great swaths of people all over the world, 
are succumbing to hopelessness. Purposelessness. It's happened before in the world. It happened in the ancient world. It happened to the Romans, where they simply lost confidence in their culture. And any sense of galvanizing person, pur purpose simply ebbed away. Hopelessness is a spiritual disease, but it quickly turns into an emotional disease, a physical disease, a social disease, and a political disease. But if you want to have hope, you have to have a purpose. And with regard to human life, we cannot know the purpose of human life, save that the author and maker reveal it to us. We cannot tell what it means to live a good life unless we know what human life is for. And we will not know what human life is for unless the author and maker reveal it to us. Just this he has done in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is not an idea about the afterlife, the Christian idea about the laughter afterlife. There is teaching that follows from it. There is doctrine that follows from it. There is dogma that follows from it. It is all profound and very, very beautiful. It is worth going into in great detail, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is that something has happened, a real event out there. We have the news of it, that Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, who they thought was the one to bring to pass all the promises of God, was crucified and died and was dead and put in a tomb. And God raised him up. And in raising him up has revealed to us our destiny and what we are made for. You're not made for death. You're not made for aimlessness. You're not made for purposelessness. You're not made for a kind of meandering, wandering through this life, and then comes darkness. You're made to be like him who was raised from the dead on this day, fully alive to God. We are made to be fully alive to God and fully alive to each other in and through the Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're meant to have life. Now, St. John says of Jesus, he quotes the Lord, I've come that they might have life and that eternal, abundant life, eternal life, life which begins now and which the grave cannot hold. The life that appears on this day that the Lord God raises up out of the tomb when he raises his son from the dead is, is, a, is a life that is an eternal life that goes on and on and on, but it's also a life that can we can participate in now because the power of this event irradiates the whole cosmos. How radical this is, how unexpected, how surprising, what a revelation it is. A lot of people are inclined to think that in antiquity, Oh, everybody believed in life after death. Well, it's not exactly accurate. Um, 
Some did, some didn't. In both Greek antiquity and in the Hebrew Bible, there are very ambiguous ideas about life after death. In, in, in both antiquity and the thought of the Hebrews, the dead exist, but they exist as shadows, as kind of shades. Uh, Sheol it means literally the place of the shades. It's a fragment of a human being, a kind of a remnant of a human being. There's a very affecting scene in that great play by, the, the great uh, poem by, by Homer, the Odyssey, where the hero Ulysses goes to the kingdom of the dead, and there he encounters the shade of his mother, and he tries to embrace her. He tries three times. He says, won't you stand still so I can embrace you? But alas, there is no embrace. She's just a shadow. He also encounters the great hero, Achilles, and he says, well, you must be the king of this place. And Achilles says to him, better to be the poorest person alive than the king in the kingdom of the dead. This idea, well, this reality, this astonishing revelation of a human being fully alive, not less human than we are now, but more human than we are now, not less embodied than we are now, but somehow more embodied than we are now. How is this? St. Paul writes about it in the first letter to the Corinthians. We'll be talking about that later, but it's uh, Homer doesn't give us hope, he gives us heartbreak. But Jesus says, don't hold on to me, I have more to do. He says to Thomas, put your hand here. And St. Peter says, we, we, we touched him, we felt him. We have a purpose, the purpose is to grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ the Lord. We have a purpose. The purpose is to be fully alive to God and each other in and through the Savior. That's our eternal purpose. It begins now, and the grave cannot hold it because the Lord God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah.